Praise the Lord and welcome once again to today's service. I know we just prayed, but I hope we are not tired of praying. So shall we pray again? <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning as we come before your word. We pray that your word will minister to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Struggling for a title. I think I, I have a title now. Of course, we are still on our series, The Book of John, right? But I'm talking about a sub-team. So our series is The Book of John, The Lordship of Jesus Christ. And this is our 82nd installment. And I'm ministering under the sub-team, A Sheep to the Slaughter. A Sheep to the Slaughter. So last week, we resumed our series again, and we saw how Jesus willingly complied with the will of the Father to be the sacrificial lamb for the sins of the world, from John chapter 18, verses 1 to 11. And we realized that it was the fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, in John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin, and older than Jesus, six months. <laughs> he looked at him, and he didn't know him after the flesh. He looked at his cousin. I'm sure they played together. You know, they are, they are close. They are close. So, you know, those days, there was nothing like Gregorian calendar. Gregorian calendar is January to December. So if John is older than Jesus, six months, let's just say John was born in January. Jesus was born in July. All right, so these were people that played together up to age 30. They played together. I'm sure they, 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 they did sleepovers and stuff like that. But when he saw his cousin again, he didn't let familiarity come in. He didn't know him after the man of the flesh. He looked at his cousin he didn't identify him as the carpenter. You know, when Jesus was on this earth, he had a profession. He was a carpenter. He didn't identify him as that. He looked at his cousin and he said, Behold the lamp of God. Not even behold my auntie's child. Or behold my cousin. Or behold my younger cousin. Because John is older. Excuse me. Behold the lamp of God. Who takes away the sin of this world? That's why he's calling his cousin. Amen. And I believe that John the Baptist really knew this by revelation. And I think by way of introducing Jesus this way, that's why Jesus testified of John the Baptist that there is no prophet greater than John the Baptist. Amen. Uh, so in John chapter 18, verse 1 to verse 11, we see the fulfillment of that prophecy. Jesus had to willingly comply to be arrested, willingly comply to be treated like a man, willingly comply to be taken for trial so that his crucifixion could take place, so that this scripture will be fulfilled, that he is the lamp that came to take away the sins of the world. And one outstanding thing 
uh, we saw last week was Jesus' love towards his enemies. You see, he was not just a preacher of love. He was a practitioner of love. Sometimes it's easy to talk a good game, but it's difficult to play the game. You know, so Jesus didn't just talk a good game. You know, he, he talked about love, but he was a good practitioner of it. Jesus' last miracle was on an enemy. Think about it. His last miracle before crucifixion was on an enemy. A guy whose name is called Malchus. Right? Um, the Bible lets us know that Peter cut off his ear and Jesus healed him. In fact, John's account does not explicitly say Jesus So the Bible. If you read Luke's account, that's Luke chapter 22, verse 51, you will see that Jesus healed him. He healed him. He was coming to arrest Jesus. It was part of the, the, the detachment of troops that was coming to seize Jesus for trial, and Jesus healed him. Amen. So that should really speak to us on how we relate with enemies. Amen. Your enemy could be as vile and as wicked as whatever. Don't wish him harm because that is not the way of our master. All right? And please, listen and listen carefully. We are towing the line of Jesus. We are not towing the line of David. We are not towing the line of Elijah. We are not towing the line of Elisha. Okay? Even though these figures are central figures in the Bible, none of them are higher than Jesus Christ. All right? So, yes, Elijah would have prayed imprecatory prayers. So did Elisha. So did David. It doesn't mean we told that line and we told that way. They, they are biblical accounts of how they dealt with enemies. That is not our prescription. So we have to make that very clear. Amen. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it is right. I always remember Apostle Frederick Casey Price of Blessed Memory. He always stated something that really ministered to me powerfully. He said, everything in the Bible is... Man, how does he say it? Um, everything in the Bible is truly stated. Everything in the Bible is truly stated. And that is without any shadow of doubts. The Bible is very authentic, right? It's truly statements. But not everything in the Bible is a statement of truth. That ministered to me. I've, I've, I'll never forget that. God, God bless him. I believe that one day when, when God um, um, visits us and the end of this age occurs, I'm sure he will be among one of the ministers. I want to hope and I want to believe so. Amen. But that was a very powerful statement. Everything in the Bible is truly stated. You know, even archaeologists and historical scientists who are not even believers have even come to the conclusion that the Bible is truly stated. It is not fact. It is, it, it is not fiction. Um, there, there are too many um, evidences, too many things that lets us know that the Bible is truly stated. But 
not everything is a statement of truth. So how do you understand these statements? It's truly stated that David prayed imprecatory prayers. It's truly stated that Elijah was an eye for an eye, a two for a two guy. It's truly stated that Elisha will curse you even if you laugh at his bald head. You know, don't think, I'm not the only person like that. Elisha had a bald head like mine. But the Bible lets us know that teenagers laughed at him and he cursed them by commanding bears to come out of woodworks to come and devour the teenagers. Millennials or Gen Zs. The, the bears just, the, the Elisha they didn't know how to relate with Gen Z people. You know, it just allowed the bears to come. It's truly stated but it is not a statement of truth. It is not a statement of truth in a sense that we have to take vengeance because we are looking at these heroes of the Bible. So it is truly stated. It is not fiction. It is fact. It's more than fact. It is truth. But it is not a statement of truth in a sense that it is not our reality as Christians. We told the way of Christ. Amen. Because sometimes Christians can be very funny. We will say, oh, I follow Christ. But when it comes to dealing with your enemies, you are following David. And you are praying the Psalm, Psalm 35 and those things, you know, just to kill all your enemies. Meanwhile, Christ, who is our master, who is our pioneer, perfecter of our faith, never behaved that way. Amen. So we have to toe the line of Christ. That's all I want to say. So let's continue from verses 12 to 14 of chapter 18. Last week we were on chapter 18 and we are still on chapter 18. Verses 12 to 14. Then the detachment of troops and the captains and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound them. And they led them away to Anas first, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Please go with me to two scriptures. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 7. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. And our second scripture reading will be Acts chapter 8, verse 30 to 33. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. And our second scripture reading will be Isaiah chapter 8, verse 30 to 33. Now let's look at verse 7. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers in silence. So he opened not his mouth. Acts chapter 8, 
that's 30 to 33. I'm thinking of what to say concerning the time, but I won't say it because if I say it, I might probably preach longer. Amen. If you have been here, you know. All right. Acts chapter 8, verse 30 to 33. Because today I was saying to myself, it will be a short one, but I don't know. Anytime I say that, I always implicate myself. Let's see. Acts 8, verse 30 to 33. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? So in context, this scripture is talking about Philip's encounter with an Ethiopian eunuch. Amen. And it's very interesting. Uh, so, when Philip met the Ethiopian eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch was reading, and he was reading the scripture we just read right now in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. And he said, how can I, that's the Ethiopian eunuch, in response to Philip's question, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was... He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamp before its sharer is silence. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away and who would declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. That's why I titled the message A Sheep to the Slaughter. A Sheep to the Slaughter. Amen. So now when we read um, our first scripture, which is John chapter 18, verses 12 to 14, we see that it is a direct fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied this more than 400 years before it took place. He wrote by inspiration under the Holy Spirit about the sufferings of Christ and scripture had to be fulfilled. And the Bible lets us know that after the showdown between Jesus' disciples and the detachment of officers, including the priests and all that, after that showdown, Jesus was arrested. And it had to be so. And when you look at the picture of Jesus painted here, he was just like a sheep or like a lamp. And it had to be so. It speaks to us about his willingness. And the Bible lets us know that he was led first to Anas. And Anas was father-in-law to Caiaphas. In fact, there are certain commentaries that said that Anas himself had served as a priest, so, you know, and stuff like that. So Anas probably was a priest. That is why uh, he was in the temple, and that is why he, he sat in a place of authority. And the Bible lets us know that this man who was father-in-law to Caiaphas, that Caiaphas is the one 
that advised the Jews that it is expedient that one man should die for the people. And when you read Acts accounts, especially Acts chapter 8, from verses 30 to 33 going, they just didn't talk about Jesus as a lamp led to the slaughter. But they also talked about how Jesus was humiliated. And he was humiliated because his justice was taken away. So the reason why it's important to state that was Jesus going to Caiaphas, father-in-law Annas, meant he wasn't going to have a fair trial because it had already been predetermined that no matter what, he was going to be guilty. And it is in fulfillment to the prophecy. And that's why when you read verse 33 of Acts chapter 8, it tells us that his justice was taken away because his life was going to be taken from the earth. And it was very important for Jesus to have the quality of a lamp. Because like I said, it speaks to us about his willingness to die for us. That's the price he had to pay. And for us to understand who Caiaphas was, if you do remember, we've gone through many volumes of the book of John. So maybe I'll have to refresh your minds a bit. Go with me to John chapter 11, verse 49 to 52. Now, if you have the Bible with one of these sub-themes, from verse 45, it has a sub-theme called the plots to kill Jesus. So maybe for context and for understanding of this verse, let's just start from verse 45. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. So why did the Pharisees hated Jesus? They hated Jesus because they saw Jesus as a threat to the stability of the Jewish nation. During the time as of writing, the Jews were under Roman captivity. And if you were at Bible study last week, Pastor Robert explained all that about the, the, the Roman the reign of the Roman Empire during the 470-year period. So during that time when Jesus was born, it was a Roman colony. And the Jews were becoming more Romans. You know, it, it came to a time that it was even very difficult to differentiate between a Jew and a Roman because 
Jewish people were now starting to adopt Roman culture and all that. That's why the Jews that spoke Greek, they were called Hellenists and all that stuff. It was something that the Pharisees and the chief priests didn't appreciate because they felt like they were losing grounds with their own people. So they didn't like Jesus. They didn't like Jesus because, one, he did many miracles. The Pharisees didn't do any miracles because they didn't walk in the power of God. And secondly, they also hated Jesus because everyone was believing in him. And they were believing in him. Even Gentiles were also believing in him. You know, during the Jewish time, the priests and Gentiles had a very um, tense atmosphere. Very tense. It's only Jews that congregate in church. Gentiles like Romans and co-wearings given that right hand of fellowship. In, in the synagogue or in the temple those days. So when Jesus came, he broke down all these barriers and the Jews didn't like it. So they didn't like it on the account of one, Jesus did miracles. People were believing in him and the Romans were also believing in him. And the Jews feared that the way Jesus' ministry is moving the Romans will come and take both our place and our nation. So based on that, we have to kill him. So now look at verse 49. And one of them, Caiaphas. We just read of Caiaphas in John chapter 18. When Jesus was sent for trial, he was sent to Caiaphas' father-in-law, who is called Anas. Now, Anas' son-in-law, Caiaphas, in John chapter 11, verse 49, look at what he said. Caiaphas, being high priest that he had, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. So Caiaphas had an idea. In order for Romans not to take over Jews, we need a Jewish man to be a scapegoat. We need to kill this man for the people. Because when we kill this man for the people, the whole of Israel will not perish. Now, this he did not know he say on his own authority. It's so funny that God can use anybody. You see, Caiaphas may have thought that I have a genius idea. But this idea is not attributed to Caiaphas' wisdom. This idea was not even based on his own authority. But being high priest that year, he prophesied. How many high priests prophesied in the Bible? Not too many, especially in the New Testament during Jesus' time. But this high priest was led by inspiration to prophesy that Jesus was going to die for the nation. He was going to die for the nation, not as a political messiah, because the Jew, the, the chief priest, that is what they had in mind, that he would die for the nation as a political messiah. But God had a bigger purpose and a bigger plan. Jesus' death was not because of politics. Jesus' death was solely spiritual. 
to take away the sins of the world. He was to die for the sins of the world. And Caiaphas prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also that he will gather together in one, the children of God who were scattered abroad. So God used Caiaphas spiritually thou. He had no sense of the time, but God used them to give them a genius idea. So now, if you read from verse 53, the Bible says from that time, they plotted to kill Jesus. Now, we are reading chapter 18. The chief priest and all those people who congregated, including Judas, to kill Jesus, their desire has been fulfilled. And now, what do they do? They take him to a place where they know he is not going to have a fair trial. Caiaphas, father-in-law, Annas. He wasn't going to have a fair trial. But it had to be so. Because scripture had already predicted and prophesied it. Jesus was going to be led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a silent lamb. And like we read in Acts chapter 8, the Bible lets us know that his justice was taken away from him. So Jesus had to go through all this as part of the tapestry woven by God. That was part of God's agenda. That my son will become a sheep to the slaughter. And what does it mean when you have a sheep to the slaughter? It's harmless. It pulls a picture of defenselessness. It pulls a picture picture of meekness. It pulls a picture of compliance. Try that with a goat. You will see a different reaction of the goat. But Jesus had to be the lamb. Meek and lowly in heart. It wasn't because Jesus wasn't strong. It wasn't because Jesus wasn't God. It wasn't because Jesus was not divine or he had even lost touch of his powers. You know, sometimes when you watch some of these superhero movies, every superhero has his kryptonite. Every superhero has something that will make them weak, something that will make them vulnerable, something that will make them lose touch with their superpowers. Now, Jesus is not a superhero. It's not like he had lost his powers. He had had lost his weakness. It's like he had met his kryptonite. These detachment of troops, none of them were his kryptonites. None. But Jesus had to make himself a lamp and become sheep. Allowed himself to be arrested and taken to a place where he knew he would be slaughtered badly. Why? So that the divine program, and the will of God will happen. And then the interesting thing is that years later, an Ethiopian eunuch read the book of Isaiah and received Christ as his Lord and personal Savior. Scripture was fulfilled. So 
God was looking at a big picture. So God used Caiaphas to really prophesy that Jesus was not just going to die for a nation only, but also to gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So it wasn't just for the nation of Israel, the whole world, including the Ethiopian eunuch, including you and me, who are not part of the Commonwealth of Israel, who have all received Christ as our Lord and personal Savior. So the posture of Christ was very important for our salvation. Indeed, he had to be a sheep for the slaughter. It speaks to us about the meekness, the compliance, and truly the obedience of Christ, who is the Son of God, to God the Father. That, yes, it is difficult, it is gruesome, it's going to be graphic, but I am willing. Why? So that I will not just die for a nation only, but I will die for the whole world and gather together in one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So thanks be to God that Jesus was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And that's why today's message is called A Sheep to the Slaughter. We thank you, Lord, that you made yourself that posture because you thought of my salvation. You thought of our salvation. You thought of the world. It's big. So he had to become selfless. He had to look defenseless. He had to look meek. And he had to go to a place where his justice will be taken away from him. And when justice is taken away from you, it means you are not afforded a fair trial. So everything that happened was in the divine agenda of God. Everything that happened. Things had to be against him. He had to be given an unfair trial. Why? Because of the big picture. He was going to die for the sins of this world. John said it right. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of this world. We thank God for Jesus. We thank God for Caiaphas. All things work together for good. When I read Caiaphas' story, I am very encouraged that God can use the evil plot of your enemy for good. Caiaphas' plot was very evil. He's like, you know what? In order for the Romans not to take captivity of Israel, in order for Israel not to become totally a Roman sovereignty, we have to take a Jew and kill him for the nation. It was an evil plot, but it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was prophecy. And Caiaphas didn't know. A blind, spiritually unperceptive man 
Yet God used them to fulfill his plan and his purpose. It was because of Caiaphas. That is why they started plotting to kill Jesus. But at the end, it worked out for good. Jesus did not just die for the Jewish nation. Jesus died for the whole world so that the whole world can be reconciled to God, our Father. That is the purpose. And for that to happen, it meant Jesus had to be compliant. It meant Jesus had to be led as sheep to the slaughter without opposition. And a typical example of that is like Isaac. When Abraham was taking him to go and sacrifice him, it's a picture, a foreshadow of Christ. Because Isaac was very willing. But Abraham saw God's deeds. And how did he see his deeds? Because a lamp, a ram, was provided. A ram which was caught in the tickets by its horns. And when you read the scripture, it didn't tell you that the ram really struggled with Abraham. It really spoke to us about the lamp of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. So Jesus' most important task had to be fulfilled. And what was the most important task? That the whole world would be reconciled to God, our Father. He had to be led as sheep to the slaughter. So when we talk about Jesus, we talk about him as Savior. We talk about him as miracle worker. There is a song, he's a way maker. He's a miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. All those things are true. It's biblically sound, biblically accurate. But one of the most important names or identities associated with Jesus that we need to thank God for is that he is a sheep to the slaughter. He had to be. Because if he hadn't become sheep to the slaughter and become that meek and compliant, you and I would have died in our sins and would have had a heavy debt to pay. And just like our Bible study teacher taught us, it is because of Christ's death. That is why we've been afforded the riches of his grace and the gift of righteousness. It all worked according to plan. So friend, I don't know what sort of trouble or buffeting you may be going through. Be encouraged that it can work together for your good, especially if you love God. I don't know who you will consider an enemy that might be plotting against you, that might even bring you a bit of torture. Maybe throughout the year. All that I want you to know is that you may think that God is silent, but God can use an evil plot and turn it around for your good. 
just as he used Caiaphas evil plots for our good. And what was the good of Caiaphas evil plots? It turned out for the advantage of our salvation. It's because of Caiaphas. That's why I am a Christian. Because Caiaphas had to sow those seeds, those thoughts into the hearts of the Jews for them to now plot to kill Jesus. But what they didn't know is that all this was part of prophecy. It was part of a bigger picture. It was just like a puzzle. I don't know if you've ever been involved in a puzzle. When you start fixing it, when you are doing a jigsaw puzzle, you will never know the the, the image of the puzzle until you have put the last piece of the puzzle together. Then everything begins to make sense. But it might be scrambled. But when you take your time just to follow God's purpose and plans for your life, it will work out together for your good. I, I want us to adopt this posture of Jesus. And I'm not saying that because you are going to die for the sins of the world. That's not what I'm saying. But I just want us to adopt this posture of Jesus that we should be meek. We should be compliant. No matter how unpleasant the situation may be. Could it be that it is the will of God? Yes, maybe justice has been taken from you and you may not have felt you've had a fair shake. But could you trust God enough to leave your life in his hands and allow it to play forth just as the master wishes. Amen. It was short. We thank God. I obeyed. Amen. But I just want us to thank God. Let's end on worship. I just want us to worship God this morning and thank God that he became sheep for the slaughter so that you and I can be saved. That's important. We thank God for that. Jesus had to endure an unfair trial because of our salvation. He had to endure an unfair trial because our sins would be taken away. Jesus had to become meek and compliant like a sheep led to the slaughter. He didn't wrestle with the plan of God. He didn't wrestle with the evil plot of Caiaphas. It was all parts of the making of God's plan of redemption for humanity of the world. So can we thank God for sending his son who complied, who obeyed, and was meek to follow through the program and the agenda of God. Think about this as we worship him this morning. Let's have some solitude as we thank and worship the Lord this morning.
Thank you, Jesus. Worship your holy name. Worship you. Thank you for being a sheep to the slaughter. Thank you that you were that silent lamb. Thank you for the meekness and the obedience displayed. In Philippians chapter 2, We are encouraged that you humbled yourself and became obedient to the point of death. Why? Because you came to take away the sins of the world. Oh, we thank you that you had a world agenda. Thank you. As gruesome, as graphic as your death was, you humbled yourself. You became the silent lamb. Even though you are the king of kings, you became the silent lamb. Even though you coexist with God the Father in eternity past, heart of creation, you humbled yourself for creature to mess with you. All because you thought of the big picture. And the big picture is that we will be afforded abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Because we will come to the saving knowledge of who you are. Lord, we thank you. We are encouraged, O oh Lord, that any evil plot against us can be turned for our good. Thank you, Lord, for Caiaphas. His evil plot turned out to be part of the grand picture of redemption. In this vein, Lord, we thank you for our enemies who have plotted evil against us because we know that it can be turned for our good. We give you praise, O oh Lord. Father, out of this lesson, we are learning compliance and meekness to your will, even if it's unpleasant. Help us to stay the course. Open our spiritual understanding to know that this is your will and we are prepared to be compliant and meek no matter the inconvenience and the difficulty. Thank you. Father, your word has said that learn of me, learn of me, learn of me. Matthew chapter 11 verse 29. Learn of me. Father, we have come to you this morning 
And with a humble heart, we want to learn of your son. We just don't want to know of your son. We want to learn of him, learn of his compliance, learn of his meekness to your will, to your purpose, and to your way. Let it be done. Enlarge our hearts, O Lord, that we can truly run the course of your commandments. In Jesus' name, amen.